You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. If you weren't here last week, I really want to commend to you Tom's message from last week. Um, I really would say I'd urge you, go online and download it and listen to it. Uh, it was a really fantastic message. And I actually felt it was a church-defining message for us. Uh, it really was the, the leadership of this church envisioning us to be the kind of church that they feel God's called us to be. So it was a big deal. Uh, if you weren't here, go and listen to it. Uh, chew on it. Think about it. This is the kind of church we're being called to be. It's a church that takes responsibility, a church that make a difference in this town. Uh, and, and it was really all-encompassing. It was a fantastic message. It was a great message. So if you were here and you thought, well, I was all right, then I would say to you, go and listen to it again because you obviously weren't listening very well. It was a really, really fantastic message. So go and listen and get envisioned for what God wants us to do and wants you to be in this town. But what happened in that message was that in chapters 10 uh, and 11, uh, Samuel has become Samuel. Saul has become king over the Israelites as they've asked for a king, and he came to, upon his first test, uh, which was that this evil uh, enemy Nahash came against some of the people of Israel, and uh, and they called out, "Who will deliver us?" And Saul took responsibility, stepped up, uh, and his uh, uh, he was recognised uh, as king after this because there was victory; they won. And uh, so the end of chapter 11, uh, there is a ceremony uh, at, um, uh, yeah, there's a ceremony at uh, Gilgal, and uh, they are celebrating victory. The the, uh, atmosphere is victorious. They are triumphant. And uh, into this, there's also the official recognition of Saul as king, because he'd been anointed as king. And recognized as king, but now he's had this victory and the whole nation is together. And now the nation officially recognize him. He is our king. We have a kingdom. We have a new king and a kingdom. And into this atmosphere, we have chapter 12, which is the whole chapter is a speech from Samuel. Samuel, our main character so far, who we've been following through this series who was born to Hannah and, and grew up in the, uh, in the temple and, and knew the, the voice of God and, and led the people. Up to this point, he's been something of a shepherd, a leader, a judge over the nation, helping them to understand. And he's been leading them. And now his role is changing. Not that he won't anymore be a man of God, not that he won't anymore be a, 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 a prophet, but he won't be the leader anymore. He's handing over to Saul. And so uh, the atmosphere is triumphant, and Samuel has the nation gathered, and he thinks, right, here's an opportunity to speak to the gathered nation. They're here together, and this is, I I need to say something. And, And actually, I don't think it is, oh, here's a chance to speak to the nation. What shall I say? I think it is, I am burdened to say something. As we'll read through, he is burdened to bring to them a A rebuke a warning, and an encouragement. He wants to talk to them about their past, their present, and their future. And he wants to bring something of a rebuke, a warning, and an encouragement to them as they go forward. We pray, and then we will read. Father God, we just thank you that we can come into your presence and, uh, and sing songs that remind us of who we are and what you've done. Thank you that we stand secure and strong, those of us that are in Christ this morning, because we're not counting on our record, we're counting on yours. 
Lord, we thank you that you've already started to warm our hearts to what I want to bring today. And I do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to many people this morning. Speak to all of us, Lord. I pray that there would be nobody that would leave. You promised, Lord, that my word shall not come back without bearing fruit. So we pray this morning, bear fruit among us, Holy Spirit. Bring peace, bring restoration, bring challenge. Lord, would you even bring rebuke where it's needed? Uh, Bring uh, warning and bring encouragement to those who need encouragement. Just while our eyes are closed, I'll ask you, would you just pray a prayer? God, speak to me. Especially if you're here for the first time, you've never met this God, give him a chance. Just say, okay, God, if you're there, speak to me today. Soften our hearts, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Amen. So we come to chapter 12. And as I said, Samuel has got his speech. We're going to look first at the first five verses here. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold... I've obeyed your voice in all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded or oppressed. You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. At the beginning of Samuel's speech... He gives this account of his behavior, his credentials. He begins by reminding the people of his credit with them. I've got credit with you, yeah? Is that right? He, he doesn't just say, hey, this is who I am. He gives them a chance. Is this right? Is, is this a fair assessment of my uh, behavior with you? He's saying, I'm, I've been honorable, right? I've been trustworthy. Is that right? Is there any accusation you can bring? Have I been a leader of integrity? Have I earned your respect and kept my my reputation intact? And the people are very happy to affirm, yeah, that's absolutely true. We can't deny it. Therefore, he has real weight to say what he wants to say. He wants this to be the setting for what he has to say because he's going to bring something where he wants to open their eyes. He wants to bring something which is strong, which is going to be maybe for some of them they need to know... uh, This is being said by someone who loves us, someone who's trustworthy, because he's got something to say. It might be a little bit like Sir Alex Ferguson in 2013, walking into his dressing room for the final time, saying, all right, lads, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Or could I? No. Um, I've won 13 Premier Leagues at this club. I've won five FA Cups. I've won four League Cups. I've won multiple manager of the months. I've won manager of the decade. We won two Champions Leagues. One club World Cup. And you imagine that in the room at that moment, they would all be sitting there saying, "Uh, yeah, you've got a lot of respect from us. We're going to listen to what you have to say. It's a bit like Samuel saying, look, the job I've been given to do, I've done with integrity. I've done well. I've done it. Now what I've got to say to you next, I want you to listen And the nations start to say, okay, he's got our ears. 
So he's setting the scene and he's burdened to tell them something. He wants to bring a rebuke. He wants to come against something. He wants to bring a correction. I wonder if you think about that word much. It's a word that I really only hear much, mostly in church sort of circles, is rebuke, because it's quite a biblical word. But I want you to know, and Samuel wants them to know, this is loving. A rebuke, a biblical rebuke is very loving. Sometimes it doesn't feel loving. It feels a little bit painful sometimes. But when done biblically, it is. British people may be not very good at this. You know, we, uh, we're the sort of people who walk down the street and someone bumps into us and we go, oh, sorry. You know, we're so quick to, ap- sorry. We're so quick to apologize and, uh, and be concerned about uh, uh, apologizing that we're very slow to rebuke. And, uh, and actually, a godly rebuke is a loving things to do, thing to do. My parent, my job as a parent is often to rebuke. Just on Friday night, my 19-month-old son is quite ill at the moment. And uh, so I had him in the bath. He's got a bad chest. I had him in the bath to try and loosen up his chest a bit. And I walked out of the room, came back in, and he's got a cup of bath water just going to his lips. And I said, no! I just changed his nappy as well. So the bath water was not something to be uh, drinking. No! I rebuked him. Because I don't want him drinking something, taking something in that's going to do him damage. So I rebuked him. That is my job often, in a loving way. Don't drink that. And luckily, he took it out of the way. That was very helpful. And that was good for him. Often, we aren't good at it because we live in a culture where it's a bit like, well, maybe we live a bit lazily. Have you been to one of those water parks sometimes where there's something called a lazy river? You just get in it, and it just takes you, the current just takes you around. And sometimes we can live a life where we just... We just go with the flow. Maybe the flow of the culture, maybe the flow of, well, well I just fancied it. I just went that way. And, and a loving thing often is to, 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 to bring a correction to somebody as a Christian. By, by very definition, we are not our own. And we've said, Jesus, I need you to tell me what to do. That's what we are as Christians. I need, I need God to take control. I don't just follow my whims. I need to be pursuing correction from God and from trusted godly people. And that's what Samuel is. Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding. Are you wise? Are you somebody who would like to understand? If this is true, I need to take this on. And understand, I probably do have some work to do. If a loving friend, a trusted friend, a godly friend has said to me, hey, that wasn't right. Why are you doing this? Why are you behaving like this? Then it, we would be foolish, the Bible was saying, to just, you know, just to, 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 to leave it. hundred blows to a fool, they don't go in. But a wise person, an understanding person takes it and thinks about it. Is that right? Proverbs 28, 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. We can often be very flattering to our friends. We just want to keep things happy and easy. Don't want to rock the boat. But the Bible says there's fruit. There's fruit to be had when we bring a rebuke in love. It's not just, I'm not just talking about giving rebukes. I'm talking here about also inviting rebukes. Do you invite rebukes from people you trust? If so, I really, invo- really encourage you to, to, to choose people who you know love you, who you trust. You could say, hey, I, I just want you to know I'll give you permission to speak into my life. 
I've got friends like that. I just, I've said to them those words. I want you to know, I want you to have permission to speak to me. Samuel was that. He was a trusted, godly man. And hopefully you can come on a Sunday even and be prepared to be lovingly corrected because we want this book to correct us. Like I corrected my son. No, because there is loving truth in here so that we don't go the wrong way. We want to be a people who uh, our friends, uh, we have such good reputation with them that they would say, I want to listen to what so-and-so has to say at the workplace. They're a good worker, they're integrity, they don't backstab, they, they talk with honor about people. I would like to hear what they have to say. When they have to bring a correction, I would listen. And that would be great if that was our reputation. We want to be a church like that. The, the, the town looks at us and says, we can trust what they say. They're an upstanding church. Samuel's saying, have I been honorable? Yes, I have. Now listen. He moves on from his reputation and brings it to the attention of their God's reputation. Not his own opinion, this isn't, but it's their history. He starts to talk about their past, their present, and their future. Let's look here at verses 6 to 11. Looks at their past. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot their Lord, their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of king of Moab. And they, sent, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served the, Baal, the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. Samuel needs to remind the people of their history. He starts out by saying, I've got your attention. Good. I need to remind you of your history. That's what we've been singing this morning. We need to do this as Christians to remind ourselves of who we are, who God is, what he's done. And then, okay, this is what we stand in. This is who we are. And and that's what uh, Paul does throughout the epistles. And Samuel's doing this to the people of God. You need to remember your history. Last week, we remembered some of our national history. Wearing poppies. and Remember what people went through so that we could have freedom. It's so important that we remember who we are. It's been 400 years since the Exodus. Samuel's, uh, Samuel is 400 years later and now talking to them about what happened 400 years ago when the, uh, the Egyptians had, uh, had enslaved the Israelites and the Israelites were set free. I wonder if your history is good enough to know roughly what happened 400 years ago in this nation. November the 5th? 400 years ago roughly in this nation, Guy Fawkes had his plot against the Houses of Parliament. And I wonder if perhaps some of their understanding of their own history was a little bit like ours. We love the, I love the firework night. I love the food. I love getting around with people. I love how the light's in the sky. I love it. It's a good, great night. And someone says, do you know what the origins of that was? Uh, uh, 
was that? There's a guy, guy called Fawkes, um, and he didn't he take some fireworks into Parliament, got chucked out. Um, well, is there a badger involved? Uh, and I wonder if that was a little bit like some of this. 400 years later, oh, we love the Passover festival. They love the food. We love all this stuff. We love to get together. Oh, do you know what the origins of that was? Oh, some frogs, um, some gnats, and they parted the Red Sea. Um, wasn't, wasn't there the water went red, and so that's why we put water over our doors. Uh, wasn't there a badger involved? Uh, and people, maybe they, they just needed to put, so, um, Samuel saying, no, you must remember this. This is who you are. It's everything about who you are. It's so important that you don't just uh, do the festival and just negate what the whole point of this is. You are loved by the almighty rescuing God. And his credentials are so much better than mine, Samuel's saying. Remember who you are, whose you are. In verse 6, he talks about how God appointed leaders. And he's making a point there, isn't he? God appointed Moses and, uh, and brought you out. He's saying, look, now you've appointed your own leader. And you shouldn't have. God appointed leaders and he faithfully brought you out from slavery. Your forefathers. It wasn't just a rescue, but it was a purchase, an adoption. God said, they will be my people. I will be their God. God overwhelmed their enemy. He brought the salvation of his people and he promised a great inheritance to them that they would enter into a land flowing with milk and honey and through faith in God Moses was able to lead the people out of slavery by the mighty powerful hand of God don't forget this Israelites Samuel saying don't forget who you are don't forget who he is don't forget you are his he parted the sea He brought these plagues. He devastated the enemy. He passed over the houses because of the blood. The angel of death came through. Incredible stories. These are the bedrock of your identity, Israel. You are God's chosen, rescued people. So Samuel's telling the Israelites, this is what your history was. And yet even that generation forgot. And they turned to other gods. And where did it get them? It got them into more trouble. It got them into the hands of their enemies. It got them turned over to death, destruction, and more oppression. So they called out to God again and confessed their sin of forsaking God. And he answered them again. He delivered them again. Verse 11, out of the hands of their enemies on every side, they lived in safety. Even after their rebellion, even after their affair. They basically went off to another lover, to all sorts of other lovers. Their, their wanderings, their complete lack of devotion and commitment to the covenant with their God. He still delivered them. You will be my people. I will be your God. Samuel's reminding the people, don't forget this God, this gracious God. And don't forget what happens when you go away from him. He is a jealous God. He's a loving God. He's a patient and long-suffering God. But we are flawed people and we're slow to learn even when it pains us. Samuel wants to remind them. And now he comes to their present in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. And when you saw 
that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you. You said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you've chosen, for whom you've asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So this is your predicament, Israel. This is where you are now. Do you recognize that you have done what your forefathers did? You've rejected God again. Can you see history is repeating itself? This is his concern. This is why he's getting their attention. I want you to hear me. This is a big deal. I've got a rebuke. It's a rebuke in love. You're doing the same thing. It didn't go well for them. It's not going to go well for you. And then he moves on to their future. He gives them options. Look, you've got options now. This is where you are, but you've got a choice. You've got a choice in how you move forward now. I don't know what your present is. I don't know what your present is right now, what you're going through. But you've got a choice. You've got choices of which directions to go in. And, and Samuel gives them the first option they have here in verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. It will be well. Notice he doesn't say, if you do these things, God will love you. No, God already loves them. He's, they're, they're his people. He's jealously in love with them. He doesn't say, if you do these things, God will love you. He says, if you do these things, it will be well. It's the best for you. What does he say? A few things, four things. First, fear the Lord. Second, serve him. Third, obey his voice. And fourth, don't rebel against his commandments. Fear the Lord. You know, the Bible says a number of times that that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's going to go well with us if we choose wisely to know that he's God and we're not. He's God and there aren't any others. There aren't kings that are better than God. There aren't rulers. There aren't other comforts. There aren't other things we can go to that are better than him. It would be good for us to be wise enough to say, I will fear the Lord. And then he says, if you serve him, if you obey his voice, if you don't rebel against his commandments... And then we start to feel a little bit constricted, don't we, as people looking at this. And people who aren't Christians think that's what Christianity is. Oh, people who have to do stuff that they don't really want to do, yeah? Is that what Christianity is? People who aren't allowed to do things that they do want to do. I want you to just imagine a kite. A kite that has its own personality. In the air, it's feeling the exhilaration of flying, but... Then it notices this tugging, annoying string, constraining it, restraining and resisting its free flight. It might think, if only I could cut this string, I could detach, I could fly free. But we all know that if that happened, its flight would last a few seconds before it fell down into a pile of broken mess. Rather, it is the tight string that holds all of the laws of aerodynamics in place so that the kite can achieve its full purpose. God's loving commandments and ways are like that. We sometimes think, I want to be free of all of this. This God is asking me to do this. It's constraining me. No, it is what gives you your full purpose. 
to follow him. When we come to a place of fully trusting God and following him, we can echo David who said, I delight in your commands because I love them. He says to the Israelites, follow the Lord. And in, in verse 15, he says the other option. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of God will be against you, you and your king. If you don't obey God, if you don't follow God, if you don't do the things that he's asking there, you put yourself in opposition to God. Do we understand that? That God is, is true to himself. He's completely true to himself. The Bible says God is not a man that he can lie. He is completely true to himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we choose to take ourselves out of him, he won't change for us. He won't say, okay, well, in that case, um, well, how do you like it? Well, I'll do what you want. He's completely true to himself. So if we take ourselves out of following him, he is still maintaining truth to himself. We have put ourselves in opposition to him. And Samuel was saying, don't take yourself out of following God. You will put yourself in opposition to him. And now Samuel does this amazing thing. If we read in uh, verses 16 to 18, he says, Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? Wheat harvest would be in the height of summer, uh, in, a, in an area where there is no rain in summer. It's not like England. Um, and he says, it's not the height of summer, isn't its not it? Isn't it uh, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. He sends a wake-up call. He's saying, I really mean this. Listen up. Please don't just brush this off. Please don't let this go to the side. He's putting on the smelling salts. He's saying, wake up. Come on, this is, this is real. Hold on to God. He's your redeemer, your savior, your rescuer. Don't forget him. And then God authenticates what Samuel has said. He's saying, look, it's not just me saying this. I'm saying what God's called me to say. They could say, yeah, all right, prove it. Okay, uh, we don't ever get rain or thunder. I'm going to ask God to bring it. And he does, and they are terrified. Because God has authenticated what Samuel is saying is true. Just briefly want to pause here and just say, sometimes we wait, don't we? We wait for wake-up calls to get right with God. We can really wait until something devastating happens. And we think, oh, I really got myself into a fix. As we saw the Israelites going back and forth. Oh, God, we need your help. Okay, I want to go my own way. Oh, I need your help. I go my own way. We can get really messed up and then go back to God. Can I just advise you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go your own way and get into a real mess or wait for God to have to wake you up with something terrifying. The people were terrified, and it had the desired effect. Let's look at 19 to the end of the chapter. All the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You've done all this evil. 
Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. But if you, do, if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The people are terrified. They repent. They turn to God. And Samuel assures them, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. Follow God. He will not forsake his people. That is a huge thing. We, we can just read through these things. Next verse. We need to sometimes stop. Isn't that incredible? God will not forsake his people. And then Samuel says, I will pray for you and instruct you. The Lord will not forsake his people. And Samuel's saying, so don't forsake him. Don't forsake him. Don't walk away from him. But the chapter ends again on a sobering note, doesn't it? You kind of think, oh, great, it's all going to be okay. And then he ends, he brings that thing back in again. I thought you just said, don't worry. And he ends with saying, yeah, but if you do walk away, you know, you will be swept away. I was, just having, I was just kind of like sighing a, a, a breath, a breathe. I was just breathing relief. And suddenly you say that thing again. God is gracious to those who do not turn aside. Those who follow him with all their heart. But which of us can do that? We're all going to do this thing of turning aside at some point. This God sounds really judgmental. You step out of line, you're, you're going to be judged. Well... He sounds judgmental because he is the judge. The Bible says there will be a day when he will judge the living and the dead. And just as Samuel wants to bring the smelling salts to the Israelites, we must be sobered by who this God is, what he requires, how we fall short, and where that leaves us. Too many people are so blasé about eternity Oh, it'll be all right. We assume strength in numbers. Well, I'm just as good as anyone else around here. Surely God can't wipe out billions. I'm just the same as everyone else. We assume some sort of camouflage. If I can hide in the crowd. But the Bible says that on that day, you won't stand in a crowd. It'll be you and God. That's terrifying. You will not be able to hide He'll stand alone. You might say, my past is bad. My present is a mess. And therefore, my future is hopeless. I've already failed this God. It's all very well saying I love his commands, but I can't do them. I can't keep up with them. I fall short every day. This is bad news, Tim. I thought church was supposed to be good news. This week, my son said to me, who is who's a Christian, he said to me, I can't be a Christian. Maybe that's what you're thinking. He, he was making mistakes. He got some, made some silly choices. And I was talking to him about, oh, I just can't be a Christian. Maybe that's what you think. I can't do it. And I could leave. We could leave it there and say, okay, you failed in many ways this week. Try better. 
See you next week. Could leave it there, couldn't we? But I would be completely failing to do what Samuel has been doing and what Paul did later on in his letters. It's right that we're sobered by our failures to uphold God's requirements. That's called the law. God's requirements is the law. But in Romans 7, it says one of the main points of the law is to send us to God desperately to say, God, I need your help. It's good to be sobered, but only so much that we be driven to the arms of God for forgiveness, that we surrender to him. I have to remind you who he is and what he's done. I've got to do what Samuel did. See, it doesn't end, I said a few weeks ago, it doesn't end at 1 Samuel. The Bible goes on. You might say, I can't do it. And I'd say, yeah, you're right, good. We've got one thing that we agree on. There's this peculiar phrase that Samuel used at the end. Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. What? Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. It's usually, do not be afraid, it's not that big of a deal. Do not be afraid, it's all right. No, we'll let you off. No, do not be afraid, you have done this evil. What? How can I not be afraid? Because he is a gracious God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 4.8, Draw near to God in repentance and he will reject you. No, he will draw near to you. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's why you can say, or Samuel can say, you have done all this evil, do not be afraid. He knew you would fail. God knew you would fail. So he sent a rescuer. He knew you wouldn't be able to keep his commands, so he sent one who could. He knew we couldn't do it. It's part of what the law is. To say, look, I've set these standards. You, you, you can't do them. But the whole point of that is that so you realize you've got to run to me. You've got to have a relationship with me. You need a savior, and I've, I've given you one. And just like with, uh, with Samuel, when God authenticated what Samuel was saying, this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just written in the Bible. God authenticated this, but it wasn't a day that should have been bright lit sun and then turned dark with clouds. It was a day that was dark that God turned light. Because it was a day when Jesus had been crucified three days before and darkness was over the land. And yet Jesus broke out of the grave and God authenticated the sacrifice means your sins are paid in full. I am authenticating what Jesus has done. That's what the resurrection means. It doesn't just mean, oh yeah, he, he's got power to, to, to live when others haven't. It means the sacrifice was enough. The father was pleased with it and he authenticated what Jesus had done. Paid in full. So let me tell you what a Christian is. It is someone who knows they need help and finds it in Jesus and follows him. There are two disciples, many disciples, but there are two disciples that, that uh, we can contrast to help us here. Judas completely uh, uh, betrayed Jesus. 
He turned his own way, like the Israelites who went off and did their own thing and, and neglected and, and forgot about their God. Judas went his own way and he sold Jesus, into, he betrayed Jesus, sold him to the, to the soldiers, to the Romans. And we also have Peter who, who said, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere you go. I'll do anything you do. And Jesus had to say to him, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. Peter said, no, I, I will never do that. I would die before I did that. Sure enough, before the next morning, Peter was confronted. Are you, aren't you one of the ones that was with Jesus? No, I was never with him. He gets irate. He swears. He, he really curses people. I was not with that man. And then the rooster crows and he knows, oh, I have I've done it. I've totally, I've forgotten my God. I've turned away from Jesus. But the difference is how they responded. See, one of them, Judas, went to a field. He bought a field with the 30 pieces of silver and hung himself on a tree. He paid his penalty himself. But Peter, he met with Jesus after Jesus had resurrected and trusted that Jesus had paid his penalty. If we just look in at John 21, verses 15, it's on the screen. When they, this is when Jesus had met Peter for the third time after resurrection. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but... When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, Peter counted on Jesus paying his penalty for him. Judas paid his own penalty. Some of us in here, we just, you just, you just, Living with guilt and shame, and you're paying, trying to pay it off yourself. You're trying to pay your own penalty for, for mistakes you've made, and times you've wronged God, and things you've done, things that have been done to you. You're holding on to them. And Jesus wants to say to you, I've paid for that. I've paid the penalty. And he wants to reinstate you. He didn't just say to Peter, Okay, I'll let you off. He asked him three times because Peter had denied him three times. And each time he said, okay, I've got a job for you to do. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. It's not the end of the story for you. You can say, I've written myself off with God. I've made too many mistakes. I've gone too far. And, and, and okay, I'll turn up to church and I'll, I'll grovel and maybe he'll let me into heaven still. He says, no, I can reinstate you. You can stand. You can still do a job for me. I want so much for your life. Peter did much more after his mistake than he did before it. He, he, he was the rock that the church was built on. He preached to thousands. He saw incredible signs and wonders. Jesus fully reinstated him. Not, okay, you can come in through the back door. Don't tell anyone. No, you stand. You stand before the throne of grace. And many of us think, oh, God, I've made so many mistakes. I've, I've really... Uh, 
I've let, I've let you down and I've disqualified myself. And Jesus would say, I qualify you. Your qualification doesn't come on your behavior. I feel like there might be a few different responses here today. And it might be that some of us need to repent for forgetting or spurning God. And I want to say, let him reinstate you. Remember what he's done and walk free from shame and guilt and let him reinstate you. And there may be some today that realize you're going to come before a judge one day. And you realize you've got no way to get rid of your sin other than Jesus. See, there will be that day one day where we'll stand before God. And we cannot, he'll say, how do you plead? We cannot say, well, I tried to give as much money as I could to charity. I tried to be a really good spouse. I was a really, tried to be the best parent I could be. I was a good friend. And unfortunately, the Bible says that even our best efforts are filthy rags to God. There's only one thing you'll be able to say on that day is, by the mercy of Jesus, I'm not guilty. And he will say, that's right. Come in, come in, you're welcome, you're reinstated. So your past is flawed, but Jesus' isn't. Stand in him. Your present is flawed, but Jesus' isn't. So hope in him, and your future will be full of abundant grace if you choose to follow him. We haven't really got time for a, a finishing song today, but I'd love us just to stand, please, together. Let's just close our eyes, because I think there may be responses in these categories if you just know Jesus is saying to me today do you love me you've made a mistake but do you love me he wants to reinstate you he wants to forgive you he wants you to know full forgiveness not halfway forgiveness not I'll go on then no I reinstate you you're a prince you're a princess you're a son daughter come back in Some of you may need to respond to that in your heart just now. Some of you need to remember what he's done. You've forgotten what he's done. You need to walk free from shame and guilt. And some of us may need to say for the first time, Jesus, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. I've been hoping that I'd be more good than bad and that would get me in. But I realize now I can't get in with any bad can't get into God's friendship, God's presence, if I've got any bad in me. That's why Jesus died and gave me his perfect record. So I want to be able to plead Jesus on that day. If you want to do that, we want to encourage you, respond. And do that by talking to somebody, talk to myself or one of the other people that you saw stand at the front, talk on the microphone. Lord, I just want to uh, thank you so much that we can remember who we are Because we remember what you've done and who you are. And we want to stand in that. I pray by your spirit that this wouldn't be a message that would be in one ear and out the other. But it would be something that dwells with us. Something that we could remember. We we are dignified because of who he is and what he's done. Lord, I pray for those who are, are living with guilt and shame. That today they could stand and say, I don't need to pay the penalty for that anymore. I don't need to hold that against myself because Jesus has taken that at the cross. I can walk, walk free. And I do pray, Lord, would you save people in this building today and week after week? Would you let people come to you, seek you for salvation?
We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you you're true to who you say you are, regardless of our behavior. You'll always be faithful. We pray, bless us as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in 